Hi, I'm Georgia Graham, and I'm a writer, editor, and pretty much retired model. This is Threads of Conversation, a show on the standard London Sometimes Radio, where I talk to creative people about their life and career, as told via clothes. Today, we have Lynette Nylander on the show. Beginning her career at Industry Magazine, Lynette went on to work at titles such as Teen Vogue, ID and CR Fashion Book before landing her current role as Dave's Executive Editorial Director. It goes without saying then that she has an impeccable eye for style. So let's get into it. Hello Lynette, welcome to Threads of Conversation. Hi. <laughs> so right, let's go to your first your first piece. So the first yeah. piece is the one that reminds you of your childhood. And for mm. this, you have chosen a straw boater um, hat that you used to wear at school. Yeah. So I went to a prep school, a, a girls prep school. It was really, um, it was really old school. It was, you know, when we got up, we called everyone, all the teachers ma'am. We didn't call them Mrs. whatever. We called them ma'am. And when they woke, when they came into the room, it would be, good morning, ma'am. And when they left the room, it would be, and thank you, ma'am. Like, it was very, you know, it was like a Victorian education. And we had a winter uniform and a summer uniform. And in the winter, we wore a brown uniform, poo brown uniform with sky turquoisey blue shirt. I don't know who came up with the colour combo. And a brown felt hat. And in the summer, we wore a pinstripe poo brown get always the poo brown uh, uniform with white socks, black shoes and the straw boater. And although they were both hideous, <laughs> the straw boater particularly rattled me up because I had, you know, Afro hair, it would get caught in the straw. It was just a nightmare. But it really reminds me, m- more importantly, of that kind of like, real formative part of going to school and it it was it was really important to me actually because it was where I really found a love of reading a love of storytelling every day after school or every day before we ended the school day we would have a a, a bit of reading time 20-30 minutes sometimes we would read a book together I remember reading like Charlotte's Web all as a group and we'd all take turns reading certain chapters or we'd have our own time to read our own personal books and I think for me I always say you know, I didn't actually go to school for journalism. I learned the way I write is my kind of observations on the world and it's how I've learned through reading and writing and, and, and listening and watching movies and things like that. Um, but the love of storytelling really came from from around that time. So although I don't miss a straw boater. I do in a weird, nostalgic way kind of miss the time. And so that's why I chose that. Mm-hmm. And to take it back, um, can you tell me where did you grow up? Um, did you have a big family? Did you have siblings? Were you an only child? Yeah, sure. So I grew up... Oh, I grew up in in, a, in the London borough of Redbridge. Two sisters. I'm the youngest. <laughs> and I, I was definitely the, the anomaly... Mm-hmm. My my family aren't particularly creative, are mm-hmm. uh, incredibly smart, and academia was was really centered uh, centered in our family, and that was where your achievements would lie. So, 
you know, me coming in and I would always be sort of dancing or watching television. I was quite boisterous and 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 I think really early on had uh, had an appreciation for the way people put themselves together. Mm. Um, How would you describe your style? Oh God, I don't know. What's your style DNA? My style DNA. It's very instinctive. You know, it's very instinctual. Like, I, I know what I like and I know what I don't. I really don't ever plan my outfits too much. And I like things that are, are imperfect. I, I'm not going to ever be the person. I don't know if you, you know that... Um, <laughs> it's not a very well-known quote by Carrie Bradshaw, but I remember in university... I watched the whole of the Sex and City. Like that was when I really I had watched Sex and the City before, but I definitively got into it. And there's a quote that Carrie says, and she says, "You know, I'll never be the woman that can wear white and not spill on it." And I was like, "Ding ding 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 ding!" Mm. It's that's me. That has us moving on to your next item. So your next item, despite you saying that you didn't come from a creative family, you've really made your name as someone, you know, a really impressive force in fashion and someone who is very notable for your style. So the piece that that reminds you of your career, you have chosen your Alexander McQueen skull scarf, iconic. Um, Please, can you tell us why you've chosen this item? I think growing up in London, like, Alexander McQueen was just... I mean, it, 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 it's almost like legend and it was just like legend and folklore, you know, like that there was this person who came from really humble beginnings and just blew everything up in the way that we once knew it. <laughs> the scarf is more, it was such an amalgamation of those times. Like if you look at those pictures of who wore it, because it was like the perfect meeting of the minds of like that early 2000s style of like Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton wearing the scarves, n- probably not knowing again who this person is and really what, you know, what the skulls are meant to represent and the kind of dark kind of orifices of uh, Alex- of McQueen's mind that came to be that skull, it became this sort of fated fashion item that girls that would come out of, like, kits and paparazzi during the early 2000s wore. I can't actually remember how, where, where it sort of came into my life. Um, but I just thought it was amazing that I had something from him, albeit it had become sort of bastardised <laughs> and still has. And I've never worn it. Still has the tags, but I'll never get rid of it. It means something, and it's funny. It's such me. an iconic piece. I feel like it's always the one. It was, you know, the Kate Moss like falling out of, you know, the bus at Glastonbury. Exactly. And this sort of... That's actually probably a glamour better reference than the Nicole Richie and the Paris Hilton. But, but exactly, it had that kind of ability to to shape shift between everyone. Everyone thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, and can you speaking of your career? Um, can you tell us a bit about you know what you're doing now? So. Mm. Admittedly, Amal, you are the executive editorial director of Dazed. Um, And previously you've worked at, you know, you've basically been at every cool magazine at every cool moment. You've been at Teen Vogue, you've been at Industry Magazine, you've been at ID. Mm. Are you, so you still live in New York or you're living in London now? (laughs) I do live in New York. I, I, really the idea was that when I, when I got the Dazed job, I was like, oh, you know, to Jefferson Hapke owns Dazed Media Group, I it's like, oh, you know, there's just one caveat is that, you know, I live in New York City now and, um, you know, I'd really like to stay there. And 
luckily he was he's he's really forward thinking in that way and you know understands the kind of like power actually in that in having someone who can represent the magazine more globally really and they both read me in completely different ways um new york is you never know you walk out of your door in the morning you never know what you're gonna get Mm -hmm. and i love that it keeps my toes and i think as someone who was sort of born and raised here um born and raised here being london i think um at the the standard London. At the standard London, <laughs> which I used to live around the corner from, literally around the corner. So it's hilarious that I'm here. I love this area of London. Um, I think I needed to be shaken in the way that I've been shaken by living in New York. And oh, sorry, did you I no, no, say, no. Um, how would you describe yourself in like a sort of working environment? What's like Lynette at work like? Oh, uh, it's she's intense. She's on. I'm a Virgo, so I really like organisation. I like things to be organised. And in terms of you know, you occupy a really um, sort of prestigious role at a magazine that's really sort of defining culture. Like, do you feel a sense of responsibility in that? Like, um, how do you engage with sort of having that role in culture? Essentially, um, I'd be lying if I don't. I didn't say that. I think it, it it has a really unique space in the world and a unique ability to reach a lot of people. That to me really was the exciting thing about the role, because I'd worked at quite a few magazines, I understood what that was like, um, and I had demystified that for myself. Mm. Um, the responsibility part, for sure, I, you know, I, 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 in a way, yeah, I feel responsibility, but in a way I also feel like you don't make the omelette without cracking a few eggs. Like, we have to, like, do things, we have to maybe get some things wrong, we have to offend people, we have to... Uh, rub people up the wrong way. We have to challenge what what they're used to seeing, um, and I'd rather do that than uh, just do things the way that those they've always been. Mm. And how do you come together putting together issue an issue for you know the people that don't know so much about the behind the scenes of a magazine? Like, what's that sort of creation process like? It's quick and furious. I'll start with that. <laughs> um, but no. Um, You'd be surprised how much people are thinking about, like, you know, there being, like, a cultural zeitgeist that people are like, oh, that's what I've been thinking about too. Mm. You know, especially particularly the times that we've been living in, uh, as, as of late, it's been really easy to think about what's been important, mm. what's been stuff that we've all been thinking about. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you start to think about, oh, okay, well, what about that? And you dig a bit deeper and you start to think of then Then research starts to come into play of, like, well, are there stories that support that? And with days, like, it's always really important to do things that are really new. And um, I feel like they always say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm like, it takes a village to make a magazine it or to really make, like, a project. It really does, I think. Like, what you see on the newsstand, there's so many people that are always behind the making of that I think about so many magazine covers of my youth and think about those moments and I remember them Mm. and I think that's important they become cultural markers of a time Mm, no it's so true Now, moving on to your next item. So this is the piece that reminds you of a high, and you have picked your Dior Rasta saddlebag. So please, can you describe it for us? Okay, so John Galliano for Christian Dior. I can't remember what year it is. I think it's... 
maybe it's 2000, maybe it's 2001. Don't, don't vilify me, fashion, uh, you know, fashion followers who may be listening to this podcast, I think. Anyway, he did a collection. It's very Googleable. <laughs> um, that was all kind of raster inspired, raster colors, uh, reds, yellows, greens. Um, it's incredible. It's wonderful. And by chance, years ago, before saddlebags had their kind of resurgence, mm. I was searching on eBay and found one for, like, nothing. Nothing. And it's real. I have, I have had it verified. This bag is real, guys. I don't want to hear that. Oh, it's probably fake. It's real. So I bought it. I never get bored of it. It's my fun go-to bag. I've worn it at the fanciest of dinners. I've worn it at grimy club nights. Every girl... Whether they understand fashion or not, gag for it. Because it's just fun. It's amazing mm. colours. It, it is a high. It's a high in a bag. And then to know also that I got this incredible deal. I don't know. The bags go for an insane amount of money now. Just reminds me of a really fun, unsport part of fashion where I would, you know, I remember all of those old Nick Knight Dior ads. And it reminds me when I knew so little... And wanted so much. But that image of, like, the swinging Dior saddle bag, like, they always, I feel like, in every campaign or editorial image of it, it's always, like, swinging it in this almost, like, very decadent oh, way. Like, and she always had the wraparound sunglasses and her hair was so fab. Like, it, 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 it really reminds me of just the good time in fashion. And, and I talk about a lot about, like... It's funny, I think a lot about when I was more of a fan of fashion than I was, like, working in it. Mm. And I actually think of that naivete as really kind of... Like, it's quite naive. Yeah, it was very naive, and it's, it's quite precious to me mm. now. Because I like the idea that I didn't know anything about it, and I wanted to be a part of it, in a way, so much. And you can't unknow what you now know. And not to say I, I have incredible knowledge, and I like the fact that I some... That I like, obviously, that I, I was able to fulfill my dream, but I also kind of, like like the idea when I just like something for it to be a fan of it, you yeah. know? I always think of that thing, they say knowledge is power, but ignorance is bliss, and I always think that thing, you exactly know? Exactly like, that. Um, so you've also chosen a piece that reminds you of a low. So this, um, I'll let you introduce, so what have you chosen? Another iconic piece. What did I say? I can't remember. So this is the um, American Apparel Liquid oh, Pirate go, 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 Leggings. Go, 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 go. I read this and I was like, ooh, I had this sickening jolt of nostalgia. <laughs> when I say a low, I think this was unfair, to be honest, because I had my highest of highs. It just has aged as a low. But anyone who grew up in the early 2000s, you know, early 2000s, early 2010s. I mean, if you weren't shopping at American Apparel, I don't know what you were doing. I used to judge in my first year of uni, God bless anyone who I said this to, I really am very sorry. But if your hoodie, you remember the hoodies they had, the iconic hoodies? I, and they used to have the white string that, mm -hmm. you know, from around the hood. And I used to go around and say... Your hoodie don't mean a thing if it ain't got white string. <laughs> so good. What the hell is wrong with me? Who the fuck says that? It was like ridiculous. Anyway, I did used to go and say I everyone shopped there. It was your marker of being cool. And it was the perfect uniform for like all the gallivanting and club hopping and like general tomfoolery I was up to at the time. I was having the best time ever. I was living in Elephant and Castle in Halls. I was going out to Corsica Studio and any other club night every single night. And it was just 
the perfect uniform. Um, but my piece de resistance, and my favourite leggings were these liquid plastic. Everyone will know what the I ones I'm exactly. talking about. And I favoured the... They had, like, low-rise ones, but I favoured the ones that had the high waistband, and I would wear them with these ridiculous platform shoes, black platform shoes that I had bought from... Uh, with my... With my um, maintenance uh uni money like you know they'd give you like the you, that you'd have the money you got for the student loan to pay the uni and then you'd have the money they gave you to live and i of course just squandered it all <laughs> and i'm still paying it back so guys don't take a loan if you don't need it um and i would just wear them i mean it was i just broke all the fashion rules it was hideous like i would wear them with no top like, as in, not no top, but top, a top that didn't cover the bum, so they were, like, an actual trouser, but they're not a trouser. I would... I feel like I remember them as soon as I read this on your email. I was... I literally have here, I wrote, like, it was that, um, with platforms, and then also I was picturing this, you remember those sleeveless Henry Holland t-shirts that then everyone copied? Every... I, I wore every bad piece of new wave... new rave fashion, like... I think I also used to wear it with... You remember, like... I think it was called the W Udotard. Anyone who worked at American <laughs> Apparel, help me out. But they had this, like... It was kind of relatively low front, but very low back leotard that you could pair with it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. of course, the girls and the ads look great. But you, you look very different. But anyway, I gave it I gave it a shot. I was going to punk with Henry Holland. He would DJ on Thursday nights. Uh, and there'd be a... a a, a dressing up box and I would just I would just I was just really happy I was just enjoying and exploring this kind of creativity so whilst I say it's a low it's a low in in an optical sense from looking at it in 2021 mm. but it was a high because it really reminds me of a time where I was very devil may care I was really enjoying going out exploring uh nightlife going to different parties, going to different club nights and really, really, really being excited at the future and the possibilities of what was to come. So a low and a high. Yeah, it's definitely those pieces you're like, oh, it didn't look so good, but wow, what a time. Yeah. Um, so the next piece is the piece that made you feel a part of something. So for this, you have chosen your black converse and you've put with all the scribbles from my indie youth. Oh, yeah. So please, can you tell me about these and can you tell me a bit about your indie youth? <laughs> In my indie youth. So I have always had really eclectic music taste, really eclectic music taste. I will, I will to this day, still listen to, you know, uh, old... Old rock and roll, I'll listen to 70s soul, I'll listen to 90s hip-hop, I'll listen to UK rap now. I just have never been boxed in, but during my teenage phase, uh, I really got into a particular kind of strata of indie music, uh, which I still really like now. You can still play that. I don't necessarily need to listen to it anymore, but if I'm ever out and I hear an old block party song i i it does take me back to when i saw them at ali pali like it's it's just funny it's just funny little anecdotes anyway whatever everyone buys a pair of chuck taylor's it's it's i think it's a universal star rule that you should have a pair of converse i don't know anyone who doesn't um you know that's a true classic when it can it can go it can go across different genres different Sorts of people can all see themselves in this one product and everyone, I think, can see themselves in a Chuck Taylor. And I had a pair. I remember buying my first pair. And 
the music married with the shoe, I want, I scribbled lyrics on them. Mm. I have never thrown them away. So the black Converse, you've ever seen me wearing black Converse? They are the ones that I had when I was 14. And I don't think I will ever throw them away. You can barely see the lyrics. You have to kind of like really, because I wrote them in Big Biro, as you do. Mm. Um, not only do I think Chuck Taylors and Converse have a way of making everyone feel part of something. It's not me in particular. I think most particular pair of shoes made me feel connected to, like, being young, being into a certain musical, you know, scene. Um, and we're a marker, like, a, a marker of kind of being being free or, or, or the starts of, start of being free, you know. Whilst everyone was kind of listening to to pop music at school, which is fine. I also love, like, I have no problem with pop music. But, you know, as someone who is starting to slightly break away and try and find their own path, I think those converse um, probably meant something more, uh, upon reflection, more than I probably knew at the time. Mm. And it definitely must mean something because I still have them. Mm. I mean, you're obviously quite influenced by music and you've also interviewed some really amazing musicians. Yeah. Um, do you have any sort of like highlights in terms of people that you've interviewed oh or musicians that you've got to met, meet real idols? Or oh. you can say hello if that's... If that's no, <laughs> no, I would never say hello. <laughs> no, like not on a public not forum. Not on a public <laughs> forum. Uh, you know, musicians are so interesting to me. Probably because I just have no musical... Like I can't sing, sadly. I played the drums. You sang a bit at the beginning of the show. I was actually quite impressed. I oh, was like, oh, really? I yeah. Thank you. I do love karaoke. I like to sing, but I don't think I am a singer. Let's say mm. that. Um, I played drums for a bit, played coronet at school, but never... Com- okay, I, I'm, you know, I'm not... I'm no Quincy Jones. I'm mm. no, um, but, yeah, I do. I, I think the mind of your musician is really unique. Um, people that I've really liked... Um, Solange was really amazing. Mm. And I'm such an... I admire her so much. Her two most recent albums... Actually, all her albums are great, actually, even when you get into, like, some of the older ones. But the two most recent ones were really ones I was listening... I I listened to quite heavily, and I was lucky enough to interview her for the cover of another um, Around a Seat at the Table. Mm. And it's one of my favourite pieces, also. Mm. Um... It's it's something that I I I really always like. I've read I read that back more recently because uh, I don't read back any of my work. I just mm. leave it. Um, but I did read that back and I thought, oh, I still really like that. Um, Samphire is really lovely and sweet, and again, as someone who I really I really enjoyed his album. I'm always sometimes really lucky because I get to listen to, I get to I get to interview or I get to write a feature on somebody who I'm like particularly like listening to or who are intertwined in my life at that particular time. Mm-hmm. And actually that sound for album was really the soundtrack to uh, to someone I was I was dating at the time and so I was interviewing that person and we're talking quite intimately about the lyrics of the album and but it was also reminding me of all these other things in my personal life. So that was quite nice. Um, in terms of like someone that you look up to, both career-wise and style-wise, do you have anyone who's sort of a mentor or like a, you know, yeah, style or life-wise? Yeah. Oh, there's so many people that I admire. Glenn O'Brien, to me, was like somebody who 
when I look at all the things he was able to do in his career, I was like, oh, I'd love a career like that. You know, he, like, worked to interview. He, you know, wrote books, kind of had his own column, was a stand-up comic for a while. You know, obviously did Glenn O'Brien's TV party in the 80s. Just did everything. Mm. And did it really well and had such a unique perspective on the world. And no matter what vehicle he used to tell a story, whether it was his story, someone else's story, a brand story, he always felt like it was him. Mm. And I'm really, really, really sad that I never got to meet him because I really wanted to. I was really upset when he passed away. Mm. And um, Sometimes I find it um, almost, I'm almost glad though, it's like that thing of like, don't meet your idols because you can kind of imagine them as like this perfect, because ultimately everyone is like, everyone is flawed and sometimes when you meet people yeah. you really admire, you big it up so much and then, you know, they're not on form, it's not their fault, but you're just like, oh, they're because hu- you're cute, they're human, they're no longer totally. deified in your mind the more I admire them, the more I'm like, oh, maybe I don't want to meet them because they live in my mind as, like, this sort of, like, very iconic figure that I can sort of, you know, um, you know, the what would Lynette do or what would, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. And and I think it, it's true. And there's been lots of people that I've met because I've been lucky enough to meet in my career who, oh, I've been like, oh, that wasn't what I thought it was. So I, I totally, I totally respect that. I just, there's just lots of questions I would have had for him. You know, as someone who has always struggled to fit in particular boxes, especially career-wise, like, I actually feel, you know, I work in magazines. This I have lots of ambitions outside of that, and I actually think I have lots of skills. I think being an editor in 2021 is actually so much more about being a curator of culture. I say that all the time. And that could be applicable to so many different things. You know, I think you can create an art show. I think you can... Uh, you know, you can write a book. I think you can, you know, help brands with lots of different things. I think it's a very elastic kind of talent. And he's the only or one of the few people in uh, in contemporary culture that I think did it in the way that I would like to do it. So I had a lot of questions for him. But um, other people, God, I don't know, honestly, so many people for so many different things that have, like, you know, it might be a career that isn't even, you know, it's not in the fashion and editorial and, and, and writing space, I think. But someone who also springs to mind is Susanna Frankel, and she's the editor-in-chief of Another, and she also is, I don't know if she knows this, but I always enjoy talking to her, and she gives me incredible advice. Mm. And not only has she edited me before, and I've always found her edit notes, in, like, incredibly insightful and made and pushed to make whatever feature I've written for her better... I've always respected the way that she's always done what she wants to do. Mm. And, um, you know, I think she's really interesting. Graydon Carter is another editor, uh, editor kind of idol of mine because I think his Vanity Fair was, you knew it was him. Mm. And I think that's ultimately what you're always trying to do. You're trying to respect the title and respect the history and the lineage of the title but you also want to put your spin on things and you want to put your spin on the world. You want to put your handprint and say... You know, I was here. Mm. Star icon, God, I don't know. There's so many. Uh, Betty Davis, always and forever. Like, that is, like, who... If I could close my eyes and, like, funnel myself through a person, it would be her. Um, because Betty Davis, the, the the rock singer, not Betty Davis, the old 50s actress, mm-hmm. who is also amazing and beautiful, by the way. Um, 
Oh god, I don't know, like Dorothy Dandridge, Khalees. Khalees, really? Uh, Zoe Kravitz and Lisa Bonet kind of hybrid because I always say their yeah, style yeah, yeah. is actually just kind of like one of the same and it's like ridiculous that there's like a mother-daughter mix. Uh, God, I don't know. Jimi Hendrix. Always. I was going to say, I feel like this is sort of leading us onto your next item which pretty much places you as a style icon um, in terms of what you've chosen. So this is the piece that reminds you of a great party and you have chosen a gold mesh spangled halter top that you got for $30 from Mystic Boutique for your 30th birthday in Jamaica. So this just... <laughs> I just want to please take us there. Like, it's winter in London. Where... Um, it's okay. Who did you go know, with? Why did totally you go there? This. What this did you do? Absolutely. So it is... It's my 30th birthday and I'd spent months planning... Uh, 10 friends coming to Jamaica which is a favourite place of mine um, from from Los Angeles from New York and from London so the logistical planning of this was was a feat shout out to Nicole Van Stratum who helped me and my friend who was also on the trip um, used her producer brain and helped me organise this because it was hell so hellish in fact that I the day before we were flying out, realised I had absolutely nothing to wear on the actual day, which was two days from when we were flying. And I thought about what I wanted to wear, and I had all I had all of these ideas. I was like, I'm going to wear like I was going to wear a pack of Raban. I wanted to wear you know the big disc yeah, yeah, dress. Yeah. I I had all I got. I had thought about it and thought about it. But you know, you just get caught up in life, and then it crept up on you, and it was too late. And so I was mm-hmm. running down Broadway. And Broadway in New York is much like the wrong side of uh, of Oxford Street in in uh, London, where you have all of these shops, and you think, "What are these things? Are these fronts for other things? Like, what are mm. these like? You know, really cheap fashions." And you know, I I'm really lucky to to have the job I have and like have discounts in place. And I had just had this really grandiose idea that I was going to wear this like designer dress. And I just saw this sort of spangly top in the window of this place called Mystique Boutique in New York. Every girl knows it. It's like your, like, favourite cheap little hole-in-the-wall shop. There's a, they have a chain, so they're clearly doing very well. But, like, you know, it's stuff that you kind of wear once and uh, let go and let God. And I saw this sort of spangly top and I thought, I'm going to wear that. Mm-hmm. It's the chain broke the day after. <laughs> uh, it was perfect, and I wore the spangly little gold top with like denim shorts. I had the most amazing dinner. My friends gave me the most amazing gift, and then we went to a strip club. It was incredible. So good. And what did turning thirty represent to you? Were you someone who was really like, oh my god, thirty, or did you have milestones, or were you pretty chill about it? When it the, when it happened, I was like, whoa. But I remember walk, waking up on the day and feeling so happy. Mm. I thought, wow, like, how incredible. And I thought, I don't much think about, like, the things I've achieved or anything. I, I'm, I'm never someone who sort of does that. People say I should more, but I, I'm just more someone who's always looked forward and always looked at the next thing. And it was one of the rare times I can think of in my more recent life where I've sat and thought, I've done okay. Mm. I've done well. Mm. 
and I looked and we were all on this resort together and some of my friends were having breakfast and I'd woken up really early because people had started give, calling for like birthday calls and the ocean was splashing and we just started drinking really early mm-hmm. and I was like wow I'm like really blessed yeah oh, well, I have mine yeah next next July so it's, it's again it's creeping up suddenly I was like wow study next year it's, but this is good good party inspo an outfit inspo my 30s are so far I'm only two years in but are actually better than your twenty. Yeah, this is what everyone <laughs> says. I think I, th- I think I'm going to be all right. I mean, people always tell me I'm an old soul anyway, so I'm sort of like, well, I feel like I've been sort of 45 forever. <laughs> so you're terribly wise for me. I don't know if I'm wise, but um, anyway, I'm blathering. Um, let's go to your next piece. So this is the piece that makes you feel sexy, which I'm sure also applies to the piece that you just chose. Um, so this is your Vivian Westwood denim corset. Yeah. Um, please tell us about this item. What does it look like? Where did you find it? Where, did, where have you worn it yeah so i mean again as a little like fashion uh, as an early fashion student i guess uh you know you see these corsets in in her old runways and things and you just are like wow like what it does to your body is really something to behold and i think even if you know you're you're you don't want one you should just try one on they're really quite a unique experience but basically uh it's quite a recent purchase actually this Mm -hmm. this particular corset so this denim one i bought in milan Mm -hmm. not that long ago um i have kind of reignited my love of westwood and i was in the milan store and i kind of saw red and just bought a bunch of items which i'm i'm actually subsequently wearing to death and one of them was this corset. And I'd been thinking a lot about... I'm not someone who I think ever really uses sexy as part of her dressing kind of DNA. Mm-hmm. I know how to, you know... I know how to do it if I want to do that sort of thing. But in my everyday life, I wouldn't say I... Sexy is the thing that I'm trying to do. Mm. Uh, maybe more, maybe at night. but But definitely, even then maybe not and I just saw it and I thought I really should tap into my sex appeal more so I put it on I mean my boobs literally are like a shelf <laughs> and it nipped in and I was with I was actually with Emma uh who works at Days and I like came out and she's like get it like yeah. she was like you know it was that definitive like you had like you had your enabler with you I had my enabler <laughs> so I bought it had it all sort of wrapped up in the tissue and wore it in Paris. Uh, me and my friend Paloma hosted a dinner in Paris and I wore it and I was hideously late because I'd been at a show and it rove around. And I came in, everyone went, what the hell? I think that everyone was just so blown away. that It was, it was a real kind of... I felt like... I felt like an alias or something. Mm. I didn't feel like myself, but I did feel like myself. It's just a really cool fucking piece of clothing. To to have it in, like, a denim, which is so, like... It's so modern and... I don't know. It's just... It's great. And it made me feel sexy for all but one Parisian night. <laughs> um, can you tell me what is definitely not sexy, both clothing-wise and personality-wise? Okay, so I have a thing about trousers on a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I don't need them to, I prefer like a saggy, baggy kind of, yeah, like I, if you're like, if you could somehow channel Nas's pants around Illmatic in 1993 in Queens, that's the kind of energy I like on a guy's trousers, but I appreciate that not every guy wants to wear like a saggy, you know, wide leg trouser, but they can't be these like paper thin skinny jeans that seem to like be i can't understand how anyone finds those first off attractive or secondly thinks they look flattering in them it kills my soul i mean no better place to view them on full display than watching love island which is a silk secret guilty pleasure in my profile picture of my brother on my phone is still i remember back in his sort of you know um, in the days where he was sort of looking to me for style advice, we took him to Top Man, oh. rest in peace. Um, and he put on these jeans and immediately they were these, they were designed like this and they were a size too small. And I was like, it was sort of this horribly intimate moment where I was like, I don't think I've ever seen your your butt like, yeah. like this. sort of. But then I also was like, I have to take a picture of this moment. And it's like his little contact picture in my phone ever it's since. Very, yeah, it's 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 very surprising and weird, but... In terms of an actual personality trait, yeah, somebody's arrogant, somebody who takes themselves too seriously. Um, is just, there one item or one personality trait that you think that is absolute for you, you're like, that is my thing, that is is very sexy for you? Personality trait? Someone who's kind. Mm-hmm. Right, we're on to we're on to your last item. So this is the one that got away. Um, oh God! Yeah, I'm sorry. Is. You said this haunts you. So what is this piece that you've chosen, and um, can you describe it for us? Yeah. So it, it when I say that, well, I when I read this, I when you said the one that got away, I assumed like a piece of vintage that you like went back the next day and didn't get or whatever. But what's kind of unique about mine is that I own this dress and I lost it, and I do not know where it is to this day but it was a white vintage little slip dress that I bought in a vintage shop in Paris for like no money years ago it fit like a glove it was like kind of old Dolce inspired but like whisper thin but just shoved everything up and in um and I wore it to a party actually an old days party the day's 25th anniversary party I wore it to that before I went there and um I loved it. it. Had these kind of like come hither straps. It was just dream. You know when I mean every person on this who's listening to this will know when you know when you just find that one thing that's like made for you. It costs like no money. It was just great. And I don't know where it is. I have such I know. I've looked everywhere. I've even tried to look through bank statements mm. to try and find the vintage vintage shop to try I mean are they gonna have another one no but somehow maybe if I call them then they would I I don't know what happened to it but it was just great I think about it a lot I'm like oh I wonder if I could describe it to a dressmaker or show them pictures well, you can describe it so everyone listening um take that description and make sure you keep your eyes peeled for this item yes and I found Forget, like call her the standard like <laughs> Oh, we f- we found Lynette from Threads of Conversations dress. Like da da da. da. I, I will tell anyone who saw. Like it's, it was like a complete. It was square neck. I'll even like post it on my Twitter or something. Like I'll pin it to the top. So if anyone sees anything like it in any vintage shop around the world, like let me know. But it was yeah. It was it was pretty perfect. But I'm confident. I'm confident that one day I will I will find 
this, if not better, again. Well, listeners, you you have um, been alerted to keep watch for this dress. Um, and with that, um, we finished the episode. Thank you so much, Lynette, for taking us through your threads of conversation. It was so fantastic to hear all your stories. And thank you so much. It was really, really fun. I, I, I didn't know how much history was wrapped up in the clothes that I have. <laughs>